This is the Small Moves Podcast with your host, Jason Hertzberger. This is episode 14. It's never too late to be what you might have been. Thank you for that, Mr. George Elliott. You're listening to the Small Moves Podcast. Small steps for big progress. With your host, Jason Hertzberger. Your next step starts now. Hey guys, thanks for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast. I'm so excited that you're with me today. Uh, Before we get into it, today's show is brought to you by Audible. Audible is the web's leading source of audio entertainment. I've been a subscriber of them since 2011. I'm a huge fan. I go through more books than I can really count through the Audible platform. Uh, One quick suggestion that I'd make for you, um, if at all interested, is a book called The Art of Learning, An Inner Journey to Optimal Performance by a gentleman by the name of Josh Waitzkin. Uh, For those that don't know, Josh Waitzkin was the subject of the book and movie Searching for Bobby Fischer. Uh, He was a chess prodigy when he was a very, very young man, and he has since applied the skill set that he used to become a chess master at such an early age to Tai Chi push hands, where he became a world champion, and now also Brazilian jiu-jitsu, where he is also a champion. The guy is incredible. He's an amazing example of how you can apply a particular sort of meta learning strategy to be to become an expert at damn close to anything. Uh, the book was really incredible. It was very helpful for me um, early on, and I really think that you would enjoy it too. Uh, log on to the website, smallmoves.co forward slash audiobooks to get your special offer from Audible uh, exclusively for the listeners of the Small Moves podcast. That offer is a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook. Feel free to download The Art of Learning. Uh, that would be my suggestion. Or pick any one of the near half a million other books that they have on there for you to choose from. If you can think of a book, I'm pretty sure they probably have an audiobook version of it on there. That being said, back to the show. Today, I'm interviewing a gentleman by the name of John Dinkle. John is the former publisher. He wouldn't use the word publisher. The term was market president. But in effect, he was the publisher of the Baltimore Business Journal until the summer of 2017 when he resigned from that position after roughly 12 years to start his own company that's called Dinkle Business Development. It's a strategic business consulting firm here in the Baltimore area. John has a really interesting story in that he followed the traditional model that everybody is always sort of pushed, you know, go to school, keep your head down, get a good job, get good grades, take the sales position, you know, work your way through the sales position and get a good job at a big company and with a pension and a 401k and basically work your way through to retirement. Uh, John realized at in the middle portion of his career that that wasn't where that wasn't the path that was right for him. You know, there are some people that come to that realization when they're in their 20s, some people in their 30s, some people, unfortunately, it does not hit them until too late. And they realize that the company that they've been working for for 40 years just went bankrupt and there went their pension and retirement plan. John wasn't going to let that happen. He decided to leave at the leave the cozy comforts of the top shelf business position that he had and start his own firm. And he is having a ball with it. I really think he's got a great perspective on 
ways that you can sort of evaluate your course and evaluate your life. I think it's a really great listen for anybody that's out there that may or may not be a little too comfortable where they are right now. Not saying comfort is a bad thing, but sometimes if you're in a position that you're either is either a compromise, you know, hey, I don't really like this position very much, but it's stable and I'm making good enough money and, you know, I've got a family and I've got kids, so I can't really risk too much. Um, John's got a really good take on ways to sort of evaluate your current situation and ways that you might want to make some changes um, in an intelligent manner. I really enjoyed the talk. I hope you guys do too. Without further ado, I bring you John Dinkle. Here we go. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire, and you're listening to the Small Moves Podcast, small steps for big progress. Let's prepare to ignite. Hey, John, welcome to the show. Thanks, Jason. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. Um, so the, the audience heard a little bit about your background during the introduction, where I sort of talked about the different types of jobs that you had while working for the Baltimore Business Journal, and that recently you split from them to start your own consulting business. So that's my take on it, but give, give the audience a little bit more of a background, a little bit more detail about sort of what is it you're doing now with your consulting business? How, how and why, you know, how did you come to leave the BBJ? So what were you doing at the BBJ? Sure. Um, I'd be glad to. Um, so, wow, I spent 16 years at the BBJ. Um, it was a third of my life. It <laughs> seems crazy. Um, a third of my life there. And, um, I had always been in the, the media industry and okay. worked up and down uh, the Mid-Atlantic and uh, found myself back in Maryland about 18, uh, 20 years ago and worked for Patuxent Publishing and then the small stint at the Daily Record. And, um, and then I met the publisher uh, of the BBJ, Jim Briner. Mm-hmm. He and I hit it off, uh, ended up going over there, and that was kind of all she wrote. I, I started there as the ad director, was okay. there for five years, and Jim uh, decided to retire and pursue a career in um, teaching, actually, overseas. And I was fortunate enough to take over his role as the publisher, which um, was something I, when I got into this business, I, I you know, I'm very career driven and very, I have a, a big drive and, and, uh, I'm very competitive, I think with my brother. So, um, you know, when I got, I want to circle back to that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyway, go so ahead. When, when I got into this business, I said, by the time I'm 40, I want to be a publisher somewhere. And so I think I, I took those steps along the way and moved, moved, um, around to move up in mm-hmm. certain positions. Sure. And even though it took me to, you know, some interesting places like Altoona and Troy, New York, but <laughs> it, it eventually got me to my goal. And I, when I was 36, I became publisher of the business journal, which I was really, really, really happy about. And I felt like I hit that kind of milestone that sure. I was going for. And you, you, know? you beat it by four years. Not that I beat it by four years. Yeah. yeah. And bad. so, you know, and then, yeah. um, you know, so my time at the Business Journal, especially in the role of the publisher, was um, as the best career experience of my entire life. It was. Why is that? It was just. It was just fun leading an organization like that. I mean, the the and knowing that you know the we had a purpose in town. You know, um, I read this book um, called Drive, and um, there were three things that, you know, before I read it, I felt like I was practicing these things, but never really, it was never really down on paper. Mm-hmm. And then when I read the book, I'm like, oh yeah, I, I kind of do that. Got and it. Okay. When, it, when, it, when, you, when you look at leadership, it's, you know, looking at um, giving people autonomy, 
giving them um, the tools to master their craft and then giving them purpose. And, <laughs> and I felt like at that time, you know, that's what that's what the BBJ was all about. It was really neat. It was, you know, giving folks the autonomy to do the things that they loved. <laughs> then also, you know, investing or giving them the opportunity to master their craft, whether it was on the editorial side or ad side, and then also, but to then purpose. And and I didn't really give the paper purpose. I think, you know, the whole staff did really. Sure. Um, you know, we, we, we served the business community and were able to put information out there that nobody else could do. And it was just, it was a good feeling. It was a great experience. I mean, you know, and, you know, I, I, I'm, I, I'm antsy, you know, and I, I, I felt like, you know, for, for many reasons, I felt it was a good time for me to, to, to try something different. And I've I've always wanted to own my own business. Okay. Um, Have you ever, had you ever tried to have your own business before? Like, is that something that, at any stage in your life, your professional career, did you ever try to start a business yourself before? No, I was very close one time um, in between when I was uh, coming back down to Maryland and from Troy, New York, I was looking at starting like a, a publications business. Mm-hmm. I'm really into the outdoors. So I was thinking, I may could do like a fishing magazine or hiking magazine or something like that. Speaking and I, of that, where, where is Troy, New York? Like where, where, uh, the where capital in the district, okay. Albany is connected. Okay. So Troy, Albany, yeah. okay. Yeah. Yeah. Troy was the, <clears throat> Troy was the evil stepchild of the uh, capital district. <laughs> they, the nickname for it was Troylet. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, but it was what it taught me to be competitive. You know, I mean, we were the, we were the third paper in uh in that whole area, and it, it was very competitive. And, and That's we funny. were the yeah, we had the scratch for every dollar. That was fun. That's funny. <laughs> so the so you so you left the BBJ this year in June right? in right. June of two thousand seventeen. Right. Um, what what is it? What are you doing now? Like before, it's out. It sounds like before your job scope was organizational leader, like sort of top to bottom organizational leadership, mm-hmm. um, implementing some version of basically decentralized command, like giving your, you know, giving your people in the, in the two sides of the business sort of autonomy to do what they need to do, assuming that they're trained, assuming right, that you right. made sure that they were trained correctly. Right. Um, well, before we get to that quick question, how, how large was the staff at the BBJ during your time in leadership, like, and how was it split? Like you mentioned, the editorial side and then the ad side. Like, how much? How much of the staff was the sales side of the business, like selling advertising, versus your actual editorial staff? Right. So when I started as the publisher, we had a staff of like thirty-four people. Okay. And now it's down to twenty-two. Got it. Okay. Uh, pretty crazy. Yeah. And so like pretty 30, indicative 30, of the industry. Drop, yeah. Yeah. Um, Half of that twenty two is in the editorial department. Okay, and the rest is um, administration and sales, sales and yeah. admin. Okay, yeah. um, so and that and that was pretty uh, similar to when I started too. Um, most of the staff was on the on the editorial side of things. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so that you, so your role there was basically not not necessarily being you're not you weren't an editor like per se an editor like you you didn't do a final, like I'm guessing you didn't do sort of a final run of the stuff outside of controversial pieces, just like, hey, make sure that this is right. okay. Yes. Um, yeah. But outside of that, it's like you, I'm assuming you you delegated that to the editorial side for the most part. So, Correct. 
So basically running the organization as a whole, not necessarily the nitty gritty of this, these are the, this is the story or these are the stories that we're going to do this week or whatever. It might right. Be. Yeah. Okay. So my background was all sales. I, so I grew up on the sales side. Um, okay. And, you know, when I took over, that was the editorial department was one thing I wanted to and needed to learn. Um, you know, fortunately for me, I was uh, I, the editor who's still the editor now. Joanna is one of the best, if not the best in the chain um, of American City District. She's amazing. and She taught me a lot. And, you know, so my role there was, yeah, to oversee things, you know, and Joanna really um, had editorial control of, of what went in the paper. Content. Okay. Yeah. And so, um, and at the same time, we talked a lot. And if there was a controversial story or an editorial that was come out, she made sure I read it. Um, I also, you know, um, every Wednesday before the paper went to press, I, you know, looked at it, you know, just to help them. Sure. You know, I'm, I'm not an edit- editor, so... Coming in from a different perspective, you know, was sometimes, you know, you catch little things that maybe they, they don't catch sure. know, kind of thing. So, um, but, or don't, or don't necessarily want to catch. Right. Dealing with reporters. It's, it's so funny. It's like dealing with reporters at the, at the end of the day, they're writers. Writers are artists really by trade. So yeah. they don't like their thing being messed with too much once they finish it yeah so i'm sure that that's that that was a fun dynamic to deal well with. that that was that was joanna and ryan shares our managing editor's job, is that's to, job. To, yeah <laughs> to, to craft that but i didn't really have a whole lot to do with content per se it was more you know if there was uh, some type of controversial story and and, and it was you know, they, they were just communicating with me, like, hey, you might get a call from X company tomorrow because we're putting this out. Oh, okay, You're thanks like, for the heads up. Yeah. Okay, great, thank you. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, like, but, you know, I looked at my role there, too, as the, the like, lead. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, it's like, I might, uh, yeah, I'm feeling sick for tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I didn't sleep much the night before. Yeah. <laughs> and there were a couple situations like that. that yeah, you were, you were like, oh, man, I'm going to get it. That's funny. Um, so, but, you know, I looked at my role as, like, the lead kind of BD person there, you know, it, it, it was a split role. One was kind of running the day to day, but the other was being the face of the paper and now sure. the business community and, you know, uh, meeting with uh, various CEOs, business leaders, associations, nonprofits, being involved in the nonprofit community a lot as much as possible and, and just building relationships so that, you know, and, and was, that's what led me to what I'm doing now. I was going to ask you that. It's like, the, so that, that role, you're, you're working in the community, you're building those relationships for, from, from a selfish perspective, like to what end, like what was for that role with the paper, you're interacting with nonprofits, you're interacting with businesses is the purpose of that really for the advertising side of the business to sort of help with advertising placement. Is it do cultivate sources for your mm-hmm. reporters or is it all of that? Yeah, like, it's, it's all that. It's it all was, that. Okay. It's all that. It's, it's, and it's also listening to feedback, you know, and uh, you know, every, well, not every time, but most of the time I try to at Hey, how's, how's the paper? You know, what do you think? You know, it, are there issues out there that we should be covering that we're not, you mm-hmm. know, and, and trying to get just a pulse of the business community on the things that we could be covering and should, or should have been covering. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, ultimately too, um, you know, you're always, you know, one of the, one of the, my favorite things, you know, as a publisher is I was out with somebody and I hear a great news tip, 
you know, and before I get back to the office, you know, I'm calling You're Ryan calling or Joanna or the reporter saying, hey, God, guess what? I, I can't, you know, tell you who the source is, but I heard this. You might want to yeah. check it out. It was like, you get know? after that, you know, yeah. get after, like, get, get somebody on it. Right. That, that was, I felt was, could be my biggest contribution on the editorial side is, is giving, feeding them tips and stories. And, um, but then also, of course, on the advertising side, I, you know, I met with um, a lot of our advertisers and tried to build relationships with our biggest advertisers and, you know, and understand what their continuing need was so that we could fulfill it. And then also um, in new business development, you know, just getting out there and meeting with new companies, up and coming, you know, leaders or up and coming companies to see if it was a good fit for us to advertise. Um, all of that around the relationship building piece of things, yeah, which was my favorite part. I mean, that was... It's fun. I mean, what's not fun about oh, sure. being able to go to the Center Club and the Capitol Grill at all these great places <laughs> and meet such wonderful people and, yeah. and business owners? I mean, what? who wouldn't want that job? That's yeah, tell, great. Tell me, tell me that. Um, one of the points that you brought up, I've always been curious about when when you're when you're a journalist, like the, the concept of a person being a journalist and the whole disclosure or non-disclosure of your sources of information. Where does that come like? Where does that, I guess, ethic or authority come from? Like you mentioned, like you're not you're not doing the writing, you're not an editor, but you just mentioned, you know, you just you heard a news tip from somewhere. Like you're not going to tell them who the, who that source is, but you should get somebody on it. Yeah, the, you're talking to other reporters within the same newspaper, and you're not actually doing the writing. So what's the what's the downside of you sharing where you got that information from, or like what? What what's the line like? The, yeah, yeah. I, I always I always wondered that. I've always, I've always been fascinated by that when, yeah. when it comes to people in the in the more traditional press because sadly that's something that's kind of gone by the wayside with a lot of the newer sources of media where mm-hmm. the 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 cultivation of sources and the protection of sources doesn't seem to be as much of a priority today as it used to be. Yeah. You know, just, and keep in mind, I'm 37. I don't know what the hell, I, I don't know what the hell I'm talking about. So like, I might, I might just be blowing smoke here, but yeah. it's, it seems like in previous eras in, in the, in journalism and in the media, <clears throat> there was a lot more of a focus on the protection of sources. Mm-hmm. But, I always sort of thought that that was the responsibility of the actual journalist, the, like the person that cultivates the sources and right. that does the writing. That's not you. That wasn't you at the at the BBJ. Mm-hmm. So wh- why why protect why in your case why protect that source of information? Yeah. If so, you're not doing the writing, just explain that process. Yeah. To me yeah so I'm fascinated. Say, I'm fascinated by it. Yeah, I would say Always you know editorial integrity is everything. You know, and so at the BBJ, it was of the highest priority. You know, among the the editorial staff. So, you know, when I'm out there, even though I'm not in in the editorial department, I'm out representing, you know, the company. And, you know, some people still think when they think of publisher, they think of editor. They think, oh, he came up from the editorial side. You know, so like like, that was not the case. No, it was not the case. Um, And when I'm out with business, when I was out with business owners and, and, uh, you know, leaders in the community, you know, a lot of them know a lot of things inside and like, and I think, you know, I always told them at the, or in most cases, 
said if they they said something that was I knew was you know, a hot story, is that off the record or is that on the record? And, okay. and they would say, oh man, no, that's off. Oh the no, record. don't yeah, say yeah, that. Don't, don't, say, yeah, <laughs> don't, 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 don't tell anybody I said that. <laughs> yeah, or sometimes they would say, yeah, you can take say it's, this is on the record. You can have your reporter call me. You know, I'd love okay. to talk talk to them about it. Um, so I always felt like I was I was even though I'm not part of the editorial staff, I was out there representing them and sure. representing that editorial integrity. And okay. you know, they I think folks felt and they were talking to me, they were talking to the editorial department. And Got you it. know, and so yeah, so I didn't and I didn't want to you never want to, you know, kind of hurt any of those types of relationships. Um, you know, and there were there would be many a times where I could have went back. And matter of fact, there were a lot of times when I was sitting in board meetings at the various nonprofits I was sitting at and stuff would come up and like, Oh my God, Joanna would, or Ryan would love that story. And I just, you know, I can't say anything, you know, because it's like, it would be unethical. It's one, it's one of those things where, where like when, whenever you walk into a situation like that, you almost sort of want to hold have a sign to hold up. It's like, like when somebody across the room says that you hold up a little sign that says, Someone please say that was off the record. Right, yeah. Someone no. please say that oh, was yeah. off the record. Oh, yeah, I would be in board meetings and and everybody would like say, somebody would come up and everybody would kind of look at me and like, I this is off the record. I'm not going to say anything, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. But um so yeah, you have to kind of keep that in mind all the time. Now, where where does where does that like I I've even googled this question and I haven't been able to get an answer to it. From where does that ethic or where does that entitlement come from well like if i walk into the room like i'm a podcaster some say that i'm a member like i've been told that technically i'm a member of the media i can get media credentials being a podcaster right i didn't go to journalism school i'm not a member of any national organization of journalists if that even exists so like i'm not a member of any of that type of stuff like if you tell me something and you say that that's off the record i don't really, I don't have it like the, what is it that makes me hold to that standard like what like is that is that a kind of like the the uh, the Hippocratic oath with doctors like all the doctors have to say this yeah. when they graduate school is that is that where this on the record off the record magical power comes from for journalists yeah. or is it just I guess you know, I, I guess just, I guess it's you know I guess you know as a journalist and knowing that you know, what you say, it's, it's a responsibility, okay. you know, knowing that like you know, at the business journal, what we put out in the paper better be correct. It better be substantiated, yeah, better checked, be sort, fact checked, because you're affecting yeah. people's lives. I mean, there were, there were a couple of times when I was the publisher that, you know, we, we made mistakes every now and then every paper does, every paper does every sure. media does. And one in particular was with a bank that's no longer um, around. But I remember the president of the bank, we had got some information wrong. And the information we put out there all stirred up a, you know, a a hornet's nest. And it had to do with their financial standings. And the the president said, my board members are calling me. They're worried. And it was it could have been a big issue. And it was just a mistake. But so I think it's that that responsibility to get the information correct and knowing that you're reaching out to the public and the public's, you know, going to listen to what they, you know, they're going to, they're going to listen to what you have to say. Sure. As, as, as a journalist, as an ethical journalist. Yeah. And the more credibility you have, the more responsibility you have. Yeah. People have the assumption that what they're hearing is true. Yeah. Like it's, it's interesting. I was like, I almost want to, I almost want to breathe. It's like, Talk about opening a hornet's nest. Like I, I almost don't want to go there in this conversation. But the, <laughs> just it's like 
when you hear information from journalists, traditionally, especially in this country, traditionally you have the expectation that what you're hearing is true mm -hmm. because it's been professionally fact, it's been professionally sourced, fact checked, edited, right. you know, and cleared through God knows how many levels of bureaucracy before it actually went to print. Mm -hmm. People don't really have that expectation as much anymore as that as they used yeah. to, now, and that's sad, that's sad to me. It is because I think gather getting news is so diversified now. <laughs> I mean, on the, you know the the internet and the digital media changed everything mm -hmm. for, for the, the newspaper industry. Yeah, it was three I big networks and three big papers, exactly. and yeah. and then maybe your local paper if you liked what was going on locally. Right. Yeah. And now anybody can you know put out a you know, a website with a blog, with a, you know, with a, you know, put stuff out on social media and mm -hmm. it's, it's, um, and claim it to be true and claim it to be true. Yeah. 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 And if that person has a reputation, has a reputation with their own particular following, they're going to take but, it as gospel and assume that it's true, even right. though it might be completely false. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. Uh, it's a lot more complicated these days. How would you like, how would you, how have you sort of with, from within the industry, like how does one sort of combat that? Like, is there a way to combat that? I mean, what, what's the what's the angle from within the media industry to almost educate your readership to sort of learn how to filter news better? Like I, I've, I've wondered that myself in this in this era of fake news, as we all keep hearing about, and it's so fun, and it's funny because when you when you hear about news stories, it's like if it's good for one side the other side's like oh that's fake news if yeah. it's good for the other side the other side says oh that's fake news yeah How, like is there is there a way is there a way is there a way out of this i guess like is there a way to educate a readership yeah, to I, learn how to filter the information that they're getting yeah i, can, I mean just, i can only speak i guess of my experience and and you know my experience at the business journal and I, I, used, I did work for some daily papers early in my career, um, more general general circulation newspapers. But I think um, it it all goes back to editorial integrity, you know, and having two sides to the story. I mean, you know, I think if you're in a if a news organization is deliberately trying to get both sides of the story of the issue and getting both, you know, um, you know, quotes or getting information from um, you know, either side, I think, you know, that that's, it, it's just more credible. I mean, sure. as opposed to a one-sided, sure. you know, kind of thing that comes out. And, and that's where you get a lot of these, a lot of the information out there, blogs and things like that, especially if it's news or breaking news, it's, it's one-sided. Or you it's, like, yeah. it's, it's one-sided or one, their perspective, you know, and good newspapers or good news reporting is it's not, it's just, it's just news. It's not anybody's opinion or perspective. I mean, yeah. that's what the editorials are for, but so, you know, it, that's, that's, it's hard. I mean, because, um, you know, I, I think you, there are, there are news organizations out there that are known to be, you know, credible, you know, and sure. I think they, you know, you just need to keep, keep putting credible information out there and, and with credible sources and and having two sides of the story. I mean, it's not not an easy answer. Or, no, sure. You know, <clears throat> and when but, you and when you mess up, you have to take ownership of it. Absolutely. Like that, yeah. and that that's one thing that yeah. I have to give a lot of credit to the New York Times for lately. Yeah. Like the, ever ever since the election, like, there's been a lot of news, you know, in the last year that they've kind of went heavily, you know, favoring favoring in their coverage to one side versus another. Yeah. In this past thing, and after the election, they're like, you know what? 
you're right. We did do that. We messed up. Yeah. We're sorry. We're going to recommit to journalistic integrity this way. This yeah. is how we're going to do it. And that's what they've been doing ever since. Well, that's because that's what it's, it's, yeah. because it's so diversified now and anybody can put report it. They put pressure on any yeah, news organization sure. to get it out as quickly as possible. Mm-hmm. You know, like for us, if we got it, the, the BBJ about, I think it's been about four years now, had a um, company-wide um, change in going from, you know, print product to digital product. And, and um, there's still a print product, right? It's, there's still a print product okay, out there, which is growing. It's so good. good. But like it's called, we call it digital first. And what we meant by that is instead of breaking news in the Friday edition, we broke it when it happened, you okay. know? And if you think about it, you know, we should have done that a long time well, ago. Like sure. we, we would, if we got a great story on Tuesday, and we don't print until Friday. We're like crossing our fingers. Oh, it, man, we have the sun. Hope nobody else doesn't get this. Right, right, because they can break it that the next day. That seems kind of silly. Like our readers needed it on Tuesday, then, not Friday. Yeah. You know, yeah. so Especially depending on what the news is. Exactly. Like, I mean, just, and, and we always held the biggest story for Friday's print edition. Print edition, sure. It would sell more papers. Yeah. You know, so. Um, that's almost, you know, that's so, almost like that's almost like putting right now. It's all, it's almost like putting out a news report in Puerto Rico. It's like it's like, hey, we we heard on Tuesday that the worst that the worst hurricane in yeah, set yeah. in the century is going to be hitting on Thursday. Hold it till Friday right. when the circulation's the biggest. I'm like, wait right. a second. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it doesn't doesn't make sense when you kind of look back on it, but but. Back then, it was um, that was the industry. Model. That was the industry model, and yeah. and the revenue was in the paper, and that's where the thought, where the growth of the revenue was going to be, was in the paper. So now, you know, it's completely changed, and you know, getting that news out there incredibly fast is uh, is you have to. It's paramount. Now. Yeah, it's, and what's interesting is that you know uh, the BBJ. I always thought you know when we put out breaking news and I thought they did uh, the editorial problem did such a great job of breaking news um, that our first, the first readers of that, that uh, we do a breaking news alert. The first readers would be our competition. You know, sure. so they, they, would, they would read it and then try to get it out. And then they try to get it out themselves. Yeah. yeah. Or, or if they beat us on a story, you know, it was one of those things, okay, they beat us on that story, but let's own it. Let's, let's take it back. And mm-hmm. like, and report more on it. Yeah, let, let, let's it. report on the second layer and third yeah. layer and fourth layer of exactly. the story because there's that more was, than just the headline. And that was the idea. We, yeah. we called it the story ladder. So get the first get the information out there. It could be like three or four sentences, and mm-hmm. at the end, hey, check back with us for more updates. And then, you know, um, it's all it seems like a science now. Like now, it's all like you know looked at in page views. Yeah. And like you, you know, if a story breaks and. It's a hot story, and you get four or five thousand page views. Oh, our readers are interested. Guess we need to write a follow. Let's focus on this. Focus on that one and keep at it. Or break a story, and there's five hundred page views. Yeah, we'll let that one. Yeah, nobody cares. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) right. So it's kind of interesting, but and I think that's good in a way because we're targeting what our readers are interested in. Sure, you know, it's good and it's good and bad Mm. because you know it's good and bad because when you focus on page views, you have to remember that the people that are like you're only getting a sampling of the people that view it on the like necessarily view it on the internet. And granted, that number is growing exponentially. Right, but. The, you you almost start you you start to almost harken back to the olden days of of the press where it's like we don't care if this is like it's not the topic's not grabby but it's important it needs to get out there anyway Correct. even though you know it might not necessarily be the most popular thing in the world to hear right now but it's still our job it's our responsibility to 
get this information out there. Right. So you know, that, you have to be careful. So yeah, it's unfortunate. The, the biggest know. topics that, you know, when I was there were, you know, real estate development. Sure. And in Baltimore, call, really shocking. Fun, what we call the fun beat, which was uh, hospitality, restaurants, breweries, like that kind of stuff. Nice. Okay. And a huge piece of the business community is healthcare and technology. They might not get the biggest page views, but like you said, you it's have important. to report on that. That's important stuff. I mean, yeah. there's so many great things happening in our educational institutions and in the tech tech sector that we have to re- be reporting on that, even sure. though they only get 500 page views. Sure, especially in Baltimore. I mean, and, right. and for the audience listening, it's like the, this. Uh, this conversation is obviously a very Baltimore centric. You know, conversation that we're having right now. But for for those that aren't familiar, Baltimore has got some of the most renowned hospitals and educational institutions in the world. I mean, there are people that send patients and students and children from all over the world to come to this wonderful city of ours uh, for healthcare and for education. So it's a huge sec- it's a huge portion of the local economy, even though it's not necessarily. The most popular local issue. It's it's very much like when you when you're born and you're raised in a resort town. Well, you don't care that it's got ten foot waves all day long with a historical monument that signifies the founding of this nation. If you were born here, you almost sort of don't care. You don't even know that it's there. Like it's like people that grow up in and around Washington D.C. It's the capital of the United States, the the anchor of power in the for the entire globe. Half the people have never been to any of the museums there because it's just there. So, it might, so that as it applies to this conversation, it's like it's a huge part of the local economy, but not that many people care until they need to. It's like when when they need healthcare or they where they're looking for solid education, that's when people start to care about those issues. But until then, it's just it's almost like infrastructure. It's like okay, great potholes. Wow. It's like nobody really cares until you hit one and blow out a tire. Then you really care about potholes. Yeah. I think, you know, I think, um, you know, and those, those stories did get good page view counts, just not as big as like the other ones. But sure. I think the, the healthcare piece in Baltimore is more of what's coming out on the tech side of things. And same with the universities, all the tech transfer and um, uh, med tech um, you know, stuff that's coming out of. That's that's the story. Those are the big things because there's a lot of new technology coming out of those institutions that needs to be heard and needs to be reported. Sure, and that's global impact stuff. Yeah, and that, that's yeah, that's serious stuff coming out of there. Yeah, yeah University of Maryland, Hopkins, you know, and so on. Right. Yeah. So so that's your time at the BBJ. What one of the most important one of the most important things that I want to touch on today is you're not really that old. It's like spoiler alert for everybody listening. I hope not. <laughs> it was like you're not really that old, but and you were you were in a position where you were the what was the official title? Market president, president and publisher, president. Yeah, yeah like the the publisher, chief publisher of <laughs> a, ma- a major metropolitan newspaper. At it was like at your age, at your age of what? Forty eight. Forty eight. Yeah. Just turned forty eight. Just <laughs> <laughs> so I mean that, that's a that's a solid place to be in by forty eight. Really, by thirty six, actually, mm-hmm. you, you said right. you you had that position when you were thirty six. Yeah, that's a great position to be in for a relatively extended period of time. But you chose to leave. Mm-hmm. Why? Like, what? Why did? Why did you choose to leave at this stage? I mean, especially most people. I mean, most people, especially if you've had a relatively successful professional career and you're not stupid with your money, 
you know, 60 to 62, 63, that tends to be when most people will retire. That's not that far off, really. Right. That's 12 to 15 years away. Right. Why, why leave, you know, a, a, a part of the network of a large national company yeah. to start your own small business? Why? What, what caused that change for you? I think a, a, a number of things. I, you know, I think... Um, yeah, I think the industry is is changing. I've been in that industry my entire career, and I I want to do something different. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and the the digital environment, the, the digital advertising environment um, in the news industry is is going to be challenging over the you know I think over the next five to ten years because of Google and Facebook. Sure. You know, it, all they, the advertising dollars are they, going there. I mean, it's mostly going there. I mean, there was a report that came out in February of this year and said that digital advertising grew 26%. Yay, that's great. Mm-hmm. 99% of that was Google and Facebook. You know, so <laughs> it's like, man, like, how do you compete against that? You know, and, and you can. I mean, there, you know, and I think. You know, products like uh, the BBJ and their and the parent company, American City Business Journals, does do a really good job of of identifying verticals that you can't get through Google and Facebook or program, uh, programmatic advertising. Um, and at the same time, um, it's still going to be a challenge. You know, so you know, I also thought, you know, I, my wife and I have been through some changes in her family a couple for a couple of years. She she lost her. Um, sister a couple years ago and then she lost her father earlier this year and in between that you know i don't know we just kind of did some soul searching you know and like is this what we want to be doing do i see myself there in five years 10 years and 15 years and every time i really sat down and answered that especially after a glass of wine it was always always no, you know, I, I, you know, I, I want to do something different. I, life's too short. You know, I didn't want to have any regrets. I mean, one thing that my father-in-law, when, uh, when he was, he died of cancer earlier this year. And one of the things he told me, I mean, one of the last things he told me was that his regret for not going into the private industry. And he was always, he was with the IRS and he was really far up in the IRS. He had, he was over like 5,000 people or something like crazy like that. Um, and, and he was, man, he was, he was facing death, man. And like, he regretted that he just never did that. And he, and I, and it wasn't the first conversation I had with him about this. So I knew to, to, to the end of his days, I mean, he was still thinking about that. I didn't want to be that person. I didn't want to have any regrets like that. And I've always wanted to, you know, try my own thing. I, I, you know, I, for, for 25 years in this business, I went out and, and what I loved about it was I got to go out and meet small business owners. And mm-hmm. it always like, I was always fascinated by them. That was the fun part of the that job. That was the fun part. Of it. What yeah. makes them tick, man, that they can just t- have the guts and the, have the guts no, to, sure, yeah. <laughs> to go out and do that and risk things and risk everything. And it just seemed like, wow, this seems like fun. I mean, mm-hmm. like, you know, so I felt this was a perfect time for me because I still felt I was young. I could start a second career, and I plan to be working into my seventies. I, you know, I hope to. Um, and but having that kind of ten years of leading an organization and knowing kind of what it's like to, to, um, you know, to to be the CEO or be the the, the publisher, mm-hmm. but then having all that experience on the sales side, I felt oh, this is this is good timing. You know, sure. it'd be good for me to like 
you know, kind of get out there. I have a big network in town and, you know, um, I've been very fortunate to, to know and, and still have relationships with a lot of really, really good people. Um, and I just felt it was time, you know, and, you know, and I also think, you know, it's, I, I'm happy that, you know, Rhonda is a new publisher. I'm, I'm very happy that she's in there now because, you know, she's the first African-American woman that the BBJ has had as publisher, first woman uh, publisher, which is awesome to see. I mean, I'm just, I think, uh, I think it was needed. I think it's really good. And it's good to, it's good to get another perspective in there. You sure. know, I mean, there, I'm sure there are things that she will do that I didn't do that will cause them to be wonderfully successful, yeah. you know, and I, and that I, you just didn't think of just that I didn't think of. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's just, sometimes you need a, sometimes you need a change. Yeah. You know, and, um, and speaking on the small business side, I mean, I, a small business owner myself, I, I, I can tell it's like there, there's to be, to have that role. It requires you to be so mentally nimble, yeah. so much more so than working for a larger company. And, it, and the, yes, there, there's innovation that happens in larger companies. Yeah. But not nearly as much no. because it's so far when, when you've got a buffer, like if you're, if you're working for a corporate, like if you're working for a corporation, even if it's a local corporation, but if you're working for an office that's got a budget of a hundred million dollars a year, if thing, if things get tweaked and you lose a couple million dollars a year in revenue, it'll sting, mm-hmm. but you can work around it. Yeah. If you've got a small business that generates $2 million a year and you lose a million dollars a year in revenue, that's that tough. hurts. Yeah, that's that's a, like yeah. that. That's staff getting laid off. That's right. downsizing the company. That's losing the office space and having to move. That's maybe your kids not having a house. Yeah. Like you, you can you can move around mentally. You can move around a lot more to try and find angles to try and accomplish things on the small business side. So much more so than on the corporate side, just yeah. because you have to. Yeah, you have to. Like the impact. The back in episode seven of the podcast. I interviewed uh, my buddy Arvind Budrum, and he pointed that out where he had a great job working for HBO, like right out of college, got a got a programming coder job at HBO, and one of those big monolithic corporations, like could have been there for forty years, working at, sitting at his desk coding away, and you know been perfectly fine. But then he realized that he get he got. It was almost a mistake on HBO's part with regards to retention of him. They gave him the opportunity to lead a project. Mm. And he was like, okay, th- I want to do that more. Like, I want to have direct impact into the results of something right. more often. And it just doesn't happen as much in, in the corporate environment. It just no. doesn't happen. On the, small, in, on the small business side, that's all it is. So he ended up leaving and going, going with a small startup called Shopkeep that grew from, call it, 75 employees up to 200 and some by the time he left and then is now leaving to go for another startup that's starting at the absolute yeah, ground great. level. He's like, it's exciting. It's yeah. fun. It's like, and you you get so much more meaning out of your work yeah. because literally everything you physically touch affects the end user, and that's what's that's what's so interesting about what you're doing is like because what you're doing is literally touching the end user, right. like your like the the work that you're doing now. So to, can you talk a little bit about the work that you're doing? Now, like you probably don't want to necessarily disclose the name of your clients, yeah, yeah. But like, what 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 type of work are you doing for people now? Like, how are you yeah. feeling so, that now? So when I was um, at the Business Journal, you know, one of the things, um, you know, why I wanted to do this was I love helping people. Mm-hmm. I love helping people grow personally and professionally. It was one of the things that 
just I, I couldn't wait to get into work every day. Right. You know, yeah. um, is, you know, if I could open a door, if I could come up with a cool idea, if I could help close a sale for one of the account executives, that made my dad could just I could pack up my things and go home. Sure. You know, now <laughs> I wanted to take that and like and do that for other people, other yeah. other business owners, and bottle so um, bottle that process exactly yeah. and. The way I felt I could do that was through business development. I mean, I've been doing that for 25 years. And again, having that kind of, um, you know, being in, in that leadership role, kind of understand really how it fits into the sales process and <clears throat> sales team and things like that. So I felt, you know, this was this would be a good way for me to go into an organization and help them um, grow personally, professionally. And I do that through... Um, business development assessments, strategy planning, and accountability. Okay. And, you know, it's, it's a, it was interesting to me at the BBJ, we sold, you know, branding and, um, and it's a great, um, you know, venue for that. At the same time, it didn't, um, you know, the, the business development part, the relationship building part wasn't really part of the marketing right. side. Yeah. You know, and that's where I want to concentrate on is, you know, how, how, can an organization build deeper relationships with their target audience, you know, okay. and, and it's face to face. It's not social media. It's not through email. And it's, sure. it's, yeah, I'm, I, I fear that's going to be a lost art of the one-on-one conversation, the one-on-one conversation. and Absolutely. like the lunch yeah. meetings and, you know, and bringing people into the office and doing lunch and learns and all those little touches, all those little things that you can do to, you know, to a potential client or current client to, to whenever the business, mm-hmm. you know? And so, so an example, one of my one of the clients I took on, um, they hired me because the, first of all, they just want to they want an assessment of what they're doing now, sure. and they want some best practices. You know what? Everybody's doing something, sure. but there there are there are a lot of other things that they could be doing to to um, bring more leads into their sales pipeline. So so I'm going to be talking to them about. Um, you know, some of those other things that they could be doing. They also want to target a specific audience. So, you know, I will help them build a program or a plan around targeting a specific audience, you know, get them out there and getting, making sure they're going to the right events. They're meeting the right people. um, They're getting the right content out to those clients, you know, things like that. So every, I've noticed, you know, I've only been doing this now for three and a half weeks. um, And, um, Everything's everybody's gonna be different. Everybody's got their own kind sure. of pain points, which makes it really fun for me and challenging because I, you know, I've been fortunate in that role as a publisher. I work with a lot of different industries, mm-hmm. you know, so I kind of ha- I know a little bit about a lot of things, you know, kind of thing. So it, it, it can help me, you know, if it's a law firm, can and if they're they want to reach the technology community or commercial real estate. I know that community a little sure. bit, you know, I know folks in there. He's like, I know those people. Got yeah. It. And yeah. I know what, I, I kind of know where they hang out and where they might be. And so it's teaching, you know, the, that law firm, Hey, this is what you need to do to get in front of those folks. You know? Got it. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's fun. It's a little scary, obviously. Sure, I mean, I've never done this. Um, but you know, and again, going back to the reason why too, is, uh, we have two boys They're you know, they're in school, almost out of college. We sold our house, moved downtown. We were in a, you know, went from a single family home to a little two bedroom apartment right in the city. That's great. And love it. Yeah. yeah that's and great. So we, we've been trying to plan it now for a little over a year. Um, that knowing, you know, I knew a year out that I was going to make this change and started talking to people about what an exit would look like mm-hmm. and what I might be doing. Um, 
And, you know, the idea of starting a business wasn't the first thing I thought of. Actually, I had a lot of folks tell me I should do it, but I thought I was going to go maybe into a different industry and okay. work my way back up. And, um, it, it turned out actually that this seemed a lot more fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is a lot more fun. Yeah. yeah and I'm, I'm going to digress. I have to digress for a second just because of something that you said just really interests me a lot is you like the kids are almost out. You're, you know, you downsized, got rid of the stuff, Ooh. got the small space some, somewhere now for the people that are listening. They're well aware because I try to bring it. I bring it up quite a bit is, you know, my, my wife, Carrie and I are doing the same thing. We're actively thinning the herd with yeah. regards to our stuff right now because next year we're hoping to downsize into a tiny house or an RV or something along those lines yeah. like uh, maybe a little bit more of an extreme move than uh, an extreme downsize compared to what you guys did but like what we through what we through that process for you guys like cuz a, lo- a lot of people that are that are listening whether it be you know middle age changing careers or retirement or even younger like like conditionally we're almost can, societally we're conditioned to keep getting bigger not smaller like even as you're starting to get into retirement it's like maybe if you're getting into retirement maybe then get a smaller place but not until you're like 70 or 75 and right. you're finally just too damn tired of mowing the lawn right it's like but other, otherwise you know just keep getting the bigger house keep getting the bigger lawns like you're in your he's like you're in your 40s and you decide you decided in your 40s to start to get rid of the bigger house and go small like how did that how did that mental process work and to decide to do that a and then b how what was your process in thinning your stuff to go from <laughs> Big ha- big house, you know, to small two bedroom apartment. How did that? Walk me through that. I'm curious. So, so I, I, it goes back to man, life's too short. I, I, I wanted. Um, I think both my wife and I, Noel, wanted different experiences. You know, we, you know, we had the experience of living out in the country and the yard and nice little homeschool, not like country, you know, kind of country small school that the kids went to, and mm-hmm. they had a great, you know. Uh, childhood growing up with the, you know, the house in the yard, the dog and all that. It was great. We went, we had that experience, yep. you know, what we haven't experienced yet was living in the middle of the city, yep. you know, and like both of us, um, I tend to be more of a country person, I like the outdoors, but I love the city too. My wife's definitely more of a city person than country outdoors. So we, we both could do both, you know, and having been down here now, I, I mean, I love it. And, and are we going to stay here forever? Probably not, but maybe. Sure. Uh, I mean, but we want that experience, man. Life's too short. I, I mean, who gets to who? If you get the opportunity to have that great little country life, but then you know, why not live in the city? I, you know, my my sister, my brother, they're very they they tend to they live out in Frederick County. They've lived out in Frederick County their whole lives, <laughs> like pretty much adult lives and and to me that's I mean if they don't listen to this will probably kill me but I think it's just boring I mean like <laughs> kind of like do something man like just go experience something else like yeah. I mean now you know Noel and I love to go out to eat we love to go drink we love to go see concerts I get to walk to all that now yeah. I was in Frederick in the middle of nowhere I had to drive an hour to go see that yep. now I get the culture of the city and the vibrancy of the city to do that 
do I want to eventually go out and have like a little house in the woods, maybe somewhere near a, near a creek or a pond? Yeah, I, sure. I, I, I can see myself doing that. But so that's kind of why we decided to do it, man. Life's too short. I, we wanted to experience different things, man. You're on this life for just a short amount of time and as many things as you can intake and experience. Well, too, one, one of the one of the great things, too, about about, you know, put put the downsizing to a smaller place aside for a second, mm-hmm. just transitioning out of the corporate world into having your own small consulting right, agency. Yeah. You could do that now, like like give you give your consulting business a couple of years to develop a a, yeah. a a relatively decent small client base. Right. God bless Skype. You can right. like, you can exactly. consult with, you can consult with your clients while staying on a beach in Costa Rica. Absolutely for I mean, six I, months yeah, or well, whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my my wife's family's from Ireland, and we went over to see them uh, about four years ago. My my sons did a study abroad. Mm-hmm. I fell in love with the country. I, it's is gorgeous out there. I've been back there a couple of times since. And I, I told her when we left there that first time, I was like, I want to get a place over here. I want to get back here. I want to get back here. I want yeah. I want to have six months in Ireland and six months back in the States and like so start working on getting your dual citizenship. But that's still like a that's still a goal of mine or ours. And so yeah, hopefully, you know, if if this works out, I'll I'll work very hard to make sure that it does. Um, I would, yeah, I'd like to get a little flat over in, in Dublin somewhere, you mm-hmm. know, or near her family and go over there six months a year. And, and like you said, I can still do my, you know, my thing, um, mostly from abroad if I need to, but yeah. and this is a few years down the road. So, yeah, I mean, um, at, at the same time, I always look at it too. Like if this works out awesome and if it doesn't, I, you know, I'll, I'll find something else, find you, know? Something else. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, but I, I think. You know, I would regret that down the road, even if I found the best gig at some other company coming right off the BBJ, I, I know five years down the road, I would have said, man, you should have done it. You yep. should have jumped in and just yep. tried it. Uh, but back to your question about the downsizing, like most people who like have a house, like they accumulate a ton of stuff. Stuff. Yep. <laughs> yeah. We did and didn't realize how much stuff until we started pulling it all out. <laughs> it took us about six months, six months and like two 20 foot truckloads of stuff. <sighs> yeah. I mean, Jeez. I mean, you wouldn't believe like this yeah. when you start pulling out of cabinets in your yeah, basement. Once you start else. clearing out yeah. the drawers and the cabinets in right. the basement and the garage. And yeah. The, yeah. But, but was the cool part about it was, and we still have a, a 20 by 15 foot storage unit in the city where our, like we have antiques and stuff like that. But the cool part about it was realizing when we got to the city and we were now in like a thousand square foot apartment mm-hmm. and we were in a much, much bigger single family home that yeah, I don't, we don't need that. We didn't need that much. That stuff. You know, yeah. we, we used to entertain and we, you know, I probably had, I don't know, we probably had 40 wine glasses. Well, now our cabinets only fit like four or five. <laughs> well, there you go. But yeah. We don't need that. You and know? your space isn't big enough to have a party for four right. people. It's right. Like, exactly. Like, you know, we're, so, we're doing a Halloween party. I think we have 18 people coming over. It's going to be packed in there, but like, which is fine. It was just fine. Yeah. yeah. And it like, increases, it, it increases the energy level at the party because exactly. people are closer. They're talking. It's louder. It's yeah. great. It's great. But it's, it's, it, it forces you to realize what little you need and to have to not like that survive, but like just have to, to have fun. I mean, we didn't need all that, that crap. You and, know? It's like, mean, and also it's like not, not to make it sound heartless, but another great, benefit of that of the down of downsizing to a smaller space and like you said like you used to have 40 wine glasses and now you have eight well guess what now when you're inviting people over for a dinner party 
now you, when you're trying to fill 40 wine glasses, you're inviting everybody. <laughs> right. Or now the only people that are in your house are the people that you really actually yeah. care about. Because yeah. yeah. there's only so, there's only so much room. So right. it's like it, like if I have to choose between John, Jane, Bill, and you know Tom. If Tom's the one I went to high school with, Jane is the one that's my wife's best friend, and those are the only two people I can pick, well, guess what? The only people that are going to be in the room are people that I really like. Yeah. Like, the other ones are just sort of friends of a friend's, or, like, they came to your New Year's party one year, and you guys had a great conversation about something, but now you only see them once a year for the New Year's party, and that's it. Like, my my wife ran into that situation, mm-hmm. you know, a couple of years ago, where my wife hosted a New Year's party for... 11 years in a row starting in college yeah. all the way all the way through and then eventually it got to the point where the the guests that were like the really good true friends stopped being able to come because they were they were getting they were they were older they were having kids they were getting married they were living eight hours away an eight, an eight hour drive each way is okay when you're in your early 20s right not yeah. so much when you have no. you, when you have the the corporate job the next day right. that you have to get back to so that portion of the crowd started to thin out a little bit and it started getting replaced by like the guy that was the friend of the friend from college that happened to know her when she was there maybe sort of or graduated five years afterwards but happened to go to the same school and never talked to on facebook never talked to on the phone and never saw ever year round outside of just the new year's party we were like do we want to keep throwing this party for these <laughs> right, pa- like right. like they're very ni- they're very nice people don't get me wrong yeah but we're throwing a party for basically 364 day strangers yeah yeah, yeah it's I, like I, I uh, as you get older you you really do realize you know f- family has always been really important who's to me, important I'm really yeah. close to my brother and sister and um but you you really want to, I learned at an early age I think I I was uh, I was a little bit of a troublemaker when I was in high school and um, I, I I went uh, when I graduated my brother and I got a townhouse together with another person and we immediately got evicted uh, oh, God. too many parties so, <laughs> so I had to move back in with my parents and one of the things my stepfather said at the time he was just like you can move back in but you have to make sure you're in school you have to get a job and you have to start reading these books, you know, these kind of self-help books. And I, needless to say, I was 18 at the time, or 17, actually. I'm like, oh, God, this is forgetting. This is this is crazy, you know. And so, but that was the conditions. And so I started reading, um, he made me read, like, the uh, Wayne, Wayne Dwyer. Okay. Wayne Dwyer, sorry. And um, I had to, we went over a chapter each night, you know. And it was homework. It was, it was like, like, yeah, gave, it was my homework. homework. Yeah. yeah. And so... But that, like, that pulled me out of the, kind of the funk I was in. I mean, he kind of turned me around. Um, and I've, and I, a lot of those kind of things that I learned back in, back then, um, I still still hold true today. And one of those was just to surround yourself with people that are going to help you grow and that are going to nurture you and you can continue to learn off of. And, like, yeah. so when you're, yeah, when, you, when we downsized, I mean... Um, I, I talk to when I t- tell people this story. I think the biggest thing that they that the biggest roadblock is getting rid of stuff and like not letting go. And there's the 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 just oh my gosh, like the, there just seems like a, a, you hit so much to do. Yeah, and there is. I mean, I'm aware. Just, yeah, just like doing piece of piece at a time if you're serious about it. But it it was the most cleansing experience for my wife and I. I mean, it was awesome. 
I mean, I yeah, so yeah, my, my, my wife and I are actively in that process yeah, now. Yeah. And just, it's one of those things where like you, you get hit with such a ro- um, emotional roller coaster as you're going through this. It's like, yeah. it was like, well, that piece of furniture, but that belonged to my mother and it was right. been in the family for 45 years. Right. And, but don't need like, the cake but, pan that looks like a soccer ball anymore. No, I don't. He was like, no, I don't. He was like, no, I don't need it. But we, like, I remember the cake that I made with that. It was for my daughter's first first <laughs> right. goal that she ever scored. And <laughs> right. like, so I can't possibly throw away the yeah. cake pan. It just every everything has a story. I yeah, mean, the, one of, one of the things that I talk about on the Small Moves Community page is a process that I do called daily ditchings, which it's just kind of my way of helping myself, my mental midget self through that process, which is every single day I have to get rid of something. Yeah. Anything. Yeah. It could be an attachment to the vacuum cleaner. It could be <coughs> it could be the extra pencils. It could be a giant piece of furniture. It doesn't matter what it is, but I have to get rid of something every single day. Yeah. Um, I net negative zero or net negative one of something in the house every day. Yeah. And it's amazing because because for me, especially being as scatterbrained as I am, like if you tell me to go over and declutter that closet, it's like I'll spend six hours emptying out half the closet, looking at everything that's in the closet, reminiscing about the life story of that thing that's in that I just took out of the closet, and then do that with all 57 things that are in the closet. Six hours later, I've thrown away maybe one or two things. There's crap all over the floor. It's no longer consolidated in the closet. And it's a bigger mess than it was when it when it was before. Whereas now, if I just if I let myself go through that morning process of you know the life story of this one item, it's two to five minutes, right. and then it's done and it's yeah. gone. And but if you fast forward a month, month and a half, the closet's clear. Right. That's probably more progress than I would have had I had I just said it was like okay, this Saturday we're gonna do it. We're gonna declutter this Saturday. Yeah, and then it just never it just never happened. Right. Well, just, and, and the great thing about it is when when you get when you're done, you get through that process and you're moved in and everything, you, you stay decluttered because you don't mm-hmm. have room to like mass any more shit. Yes. Yeah, so, <laughs> like, so like you know, if we go out and want to buy like a new pair of shoes or like a couple you know new shirts, we're all right. Well, what am I getting rid of? So I can make get, room for that. Yes. And it's it's actually. It's great. It I is. It, you know, like, so, so we keep we keep like you know, and we all, when we decided to move, yeah, we obviously kept all of our kind of high quality stuff, and we bought some new stuff for the apartment and everything. But now it's like you know, my wife Nola has an obsession with sunglasses. I'm sorry, what's your wife's name? I've heard you say it Nula. a couple. Nula. Okay. Yeah, yeah it's Irish for um, fair shoulder. Finola. Um, she has an obsession with sunglasses. She probably has in her whole collection in storage. I mean, maybe two hundred pairs. And okay, she's even one, in the she's apartment. One of them. <laughs> in the apartment, I think we have like fifty or so. But like for her to add any more, it's like all right, we got to you know you got to get rid of one. You got to give it to our you know your niece or you know whoever. And you know same with um, other things. You know we we and, and or we just learn to live without it. And it, and we realize we didn't really didn't need, need it in the first place. Yeah, yeah, didn't need it in the first place. So. Yeah. That, 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 that part was really good, you know. I, that that was for anybody out there who's you know fearful of just letting go of all that stuff and not, you know it's the, the the feeling of having that all off your back is just was oh man it was great yeah <laughs> yeah it it, it seemed it seemed like that's the a good theme for our conversation so far is just sort of 
learning learning how and when to sort of let go and move on. Yeah. Um, it seems yeah. like that's pretty much what you did with in your professional life. It's what you did in your house, which I actually didn't know coming into this conversation. Yeah. <laughs> like so, I mean, for I mean, for people that are listening, like, how would you recommend somebody kind of start that process? Like, you guys decided that it was time to get a smaller place and declutter and move into the city. How, like, how did that thought process start? And you decided to leave a relatively secure and I'm sure relatively high paying corporate job for, you know, starting your own company where your income is zero. On yeah, day one. Right. Right. You know, that how like that, that's a, that's a risky move. And that's something that, you know, if you knew, if you knew coming into being in the position where you were in, you knew that you could have a relatively secure, relatively high paying job for yeah. the next 10 to 12 years, just enough to kind of get you to roughly around that retirement mark. Yeah. Why not keep it? Like, what, what, how would you recommend people evaluate, like, do some form of a self evaluation? Because that's what you did. I mean, yeah. you, 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 it was you evaluated the industry, but you also evaluated yourself. It did. And it was talking to a, a lot of trusted people. Um, okay. So, you know, um, I talked to um, a couple of coaches that, you know, asked me some really good questions. And, As in and like business coaches or professional business, coaches? Yeah, okay. yeah, executive coaches. And and some friends in the community that I've known for a long time that I know I could trust and not get out there. Because that, that was one thing I didn't want is, you know, we have good reporters. You know, I didn't want them finding out, oh, yeah, you know, John's looking for another job. John's looking like, for <laughs> like, oh, man, that would be the worst. So I, I had to be really careful of, like, who I talked to. But, you know... Um, but the, the, the coaches were like really good because especially at the beginning, because they always asked me, well, what do you want to do? And at first I couldn't answer that question. Because you didn't know. I didn't know. Yeah. And like it probably took me. Or you couldn't articulate it. It's probably. A right. Like, you right. Knew, you knew what I, you like doing, but. Yeah. Right. And I couldn't say, well, what does that job look like? Is there a job out there like that? Or is there, you know, so it took me a good probably three to six months to, to answer that question, you yeah. know, like, you know, what do you want to do? You know, or what do you like doing? And, and so, you know, I, I would start with that, you know, what, if you can, before you start asking other people, ask yourself, you know, what do you like to do? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, you know, I like, I like fishing. I mean, if I could make a living and make $300,000 a year going fishing, I would, I would do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can't, I mean, you can, but listen to that. Well, a good, a good it's way not to, realistic, I guess. But that a way. good way to translate that might, <laughs> might it sound it sounds like a good way to translate that is if what could what what do you like doing if you could do it for free and you'd be okay doing it for free, right? Yeah, it's like what what is that thing? Like well, in your like in your case, that's fishing. For me, fishing is terrifying. Like I have no like <laughs> it's, it's terribly boring to me. Yeah. So that's not me, but traveling or camping or whatnot, those are a lot more interesting to me. I would do that every single weekend, given the opportunity. But looking at your job, like what what part of your job do you really like? You know, because there was jobs that obviously part of the publisher job that I didn't like. I mean, what what part of the role that you're doing now that you really like, that you just really dig, you're excited about that every day. So just take that piece and then how, where does that translate into your, into another role or next role? Whether you decide to open your own business or, or move on to another company, um, What's that part that really excites you? And that's that's what took me a while to like kind of understand and 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 come to the why I'm doing and starting this business, not to make money, not to you know obviously I want to make money, but like sure, of no, but um, it's it wasn't to you know it's why am I doing this? What is it? What what's going to get me up at five thirty every morning? Be like get on my computer and like I oh, mean get ready to rock and roll. 
It was because I want to help people. Yeah. I really, I'm, I, I want to help. I want to help teach them how to, you know, be better business developers. You know, because that's what I know, and that's mm-hmm. the, I, you know, if, if I knew other things, I would teach them that. But you know, that's what I know, and that's what I would. That's what I wanted to do. You know, so um, it's it's hard. It's a hard question, and I, and I think it, it's. Um, you need to ask that of yourself. What do you want to do before going out and talking to your advisors and friends and, and everything else. But it took me a year probably to figure that out. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah, I think, I think that's a pretty solid place to wrap up. One question that I like, that I like to ask all the guests on the show um, is because of the concept, the concept of small moves is trying to find small incremental things that can eventually make, significant difference over time i one of my favorite one of the favorite podcasts that i listen to i kind of stole this question from one of my favorite podcasters and it's um and it can be limited to the stuff that we've talked about whether it be decluttering or starting your business or journalism or whatever it might be or it could be something completely unrelated as there's no there's no category that you have to keep the answer within um what purchase have you made in recent memory of a hundred dollars or less that's the tricky part that's had the most dramatic impact in on some area of your life it could be like it could be it could literally be anything it could be the noisemaker that finally lets your neurotic dog not bark at not bark uncontrollably at night and keep you guys up it could be a billing system you know that helps you bill your clients easier so you don't have to nitpick and you know bug them it could literally be anything it could be a new kitchen knife that has that finally has you cooking for the first time in your life like it could literally be anything. Just try to keep the try to keep it at roughly at or below the hundred dollar mark because it's a, sometimes small things can make significant differences. Yeah, you know, I, I would say um, this is two two weeks, but pretty recent. I would say a, a bow tie. Really? So tell me why. Tell me why. <laughs> tell me why a bow tie. I'm curious. So what was? I forget. Um, and I think it was Andreas here at the Center Club. Um, I, I, I got a I got a bow tie because I saw another person wearing one and I, 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 I didn't own a bow tie at this at the time. I bought one. I like I was like you know what I want to start wearing a bow tie. So that looks pretty cool. And I had to go on YouTube and I to find out how to freaking tie. How to tie it? Took, I took me yeah. like a few hours to figure it out. But the, when it's I, easier to learn Mandarin Chinese, yeah. like, or it feels like it's easier to learn Mandarin than it yeah, does. Yeah, it's just like tying your shoe. No, it's not. No, it's, it's not. Different. But you're a liar. Right. Like, it's not that. <laughs> no, it's not like tying your shoe. Um, so, but when I when I remember going out to an event and I had a bow tie and I I picked a pretty cool one. It was kind of a cool pattern, or whatever. Okay. I got more notice on that freaking bow tie than that's, like that's it so stood. Funny. It just stood out, and every so now I have a plethora of bow ties and whenever i wear one i get a comment on it That's and i don't know why it's just a bow tie but well, it's rare it's, it's like it's rare. yeah not i guess you know maybe people are afraid to they can pull it off or not but for some reason it and why what i liked about it is it just kind of stood out mm-hmm. you know and it, it like kind of stood out a little bit and Every time I wear a bow tie, now I Somebody get a comment on it. That's, yeah, and that's it's funny. and it's kind of weird, but like uh, you know, so 
I would say I would say that that's that's kind of how to, that's like, great yeah <laughs> yeah that's great is there is there any particular brand that you like to no where just uh, yeah. do you do you remember Actually, I look at pattern more than do you remember do you remember what the first one was um no I that don't first actually. one I mean, I'd be curious I'd be curious to find that yeah out. no yeah, it, was, like, it, it was it's purple with um like these yellow and blue flowers on it but okay it's pretty it's kind of cool that, that is awesome yeah. <laughs> all right well John this has been great. Yeah, this yeah, thank you. Um, is there anything is there anything else that you want to share with the audience or anything like, like that uh, before we get into sort of how can they find you? Like yeah. if, if people want to track you down either personally, they like your story or professionally or they want to follow you on socials or whatever it might be. Like where can people find out more about you? Um, just LinkedIn. I'm under, yeah, on LinkedIn and uh, my uh, company site is... Um, DinkleBusinessDevelopment.com. Okay, simple yeah, enough. So simple enough. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. LinkedIn's good though. Okay. All right. So I'll I'll, I'll link to uh, John's profile in the show notes through LinkedIn as well as to his website as well. Well, John, I Thank appreciate you, this. Thank you. That was fun. Yep. Bye bye. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Small Moves Podcast. I really enjoyed this chat with John Dinkle. I hope you guys did as well. Uh, definitely log on to his website and check him out if you've got any qu further questions for him uh, based on what you heard in this conversation. I really had fun with the conversation, especially when we got to the point about him sort of um, him and his wife downsizing and moving to a smaller space. Uh, that's obviously something that if you're listening to this show, you know that's that's something that my wife and I are actively doing ourselves right now. So I, I had a lot of fun with that. But definitely heed John's advice with regards to sort of evaluating your current path and just make sure that what you're doing right now is what's right for you. And if it's not, don't be afraid to change it. It's never too late to make a change to what you really want to be doing. With that, do me a favor and go ahead and follow me on Twitter. That would be at Jason Hertzberger. If you can't spell it, check the Small Moves website. It's on there. Or also go over to the community Facebook page. Uh, that's smallmoves.co forward slash community. It'll, it'll take you straight to the Facebook community page. Go ahead, give it a follow, and let me know what you thought about this episode. I really look forward to you guys coming back to the next episode, and I hope you guys have a great rest of the day. Take it easy. You've got this.